Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tally ho, tally ho. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, morning, Jim. How are you? Yeah, no, I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Uh, great, yes. Um, uh, you look very fresh this morning, whereas I'm sort of shabby and scruffy. Well, you, you, you had a big performance last night, didn't you? Yes, I did. I was very, very, I'll tell you about that. That's not for this podcast. Um, we, are, <laughs> we are joined today by a special guest um, uh, who has a fascinating story to tell. So, Jim, um, uh, take, us, take us to our guest, please. Uh, well, we've got a very special guest, um, uh, an unusual one. We've got a motor racing guru, um, journalist, former Top Gear presenter, Tiff Dell. But he's got fantastic aviation heritage, it has to be said. Yes, a little secret in my background. Yeah, look, I think anybody knows about really that uh, you know my great uncle was Sir Richard Ferry. So um, I've got very much links with you know sinking the Bismarck and uh, breaking the world speed record with my fairy heritage, which very people, Goodness. very few people know about. I wanted to do a documentary about it, to bring fairy to the to the, um, to the foreground. Um, how, have, how have you? I mean, were I the great nephew of um, Sir Richard Ferry, everyone would have known this a long time ago. I mean, uh, that's not the kind of light I'd under, hide under a bushel. Um, how come you've uh, contained this? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I only wanted to be a racing driver, you know, and I've dedicated my <laughs> entire life to crawling up the ladder to sort of Grand Prix grid in 1980 and then race at Le Mans. So I was obsessed with, with four wheels, you know. I just had right. this background that was always there. As you get older, and then you you find out that Sir Richard Hare Ferry's home is now about ten miles from where I live, which is sort of accidentally this great Bossington house, and then you sort of meet the granddaughter who lives there still, and I sort of you know began to go back and think about much more about uh, my fairy heritage. Um, you know, I'm as big, you know, as I'm, I'm a Spitfire, read every Spitfire book, and you know, I, I, kids born in the early fifties, we grew up on war comics, and you know, yeah. those wonderful little small one shilling books. Um, but it's sort of a funny life when you grew up in the 50s and 60s, so reading about all these things. So I've always loved the Spitfire pilot. I always think racing drivers all would have been Spitfire pilots. And I read, my, I read when I was at school, I don't know if you know, a really old book. It was Tiger Squadron by Ira Taffy Jones. It's a wonderful, because he, he flew in both the First World War and the Second World War. It's one of wow. the earliest sort of uh, pilot uh, books I read. So he's got diaries of the First World War, which isn't really, there aren't many pilots that have wrote them. And it was a yeah. fascinating insight into, especially First World War, when, you know, no parachutes and stuff. And then I read some, I don't know, some novel by some very young journalist. It was called um, Burning Blue. I don't know what it was, but it was quite a good book, actually, about a Spitfire. James, is, well, about your earliest book, was it, James? Uh, well, well, it wasn't actually, strictly speaking, my first novel. 
because um, in a, in a former <laughs> life, and I keep this very very quiet, I wrote two chiclet novels, ah. <laughs> which were truly dreadful. Um, um, but 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 um, I realised that that you know the, my future didn't lie in writing chiclet. So um, so then I. Um, I'd, I'd had this Damacy moment of seeing the Spitfire, and I suddenly thought, "That's the answer. I need to write a. I need to write a novel with her." But, but I'm very flattered that you've you've read it, Tiff. You must be one of about fifteen people that has. This would be a very different different podcast if you were a chick lit author still, Jim. I mean, what will we be talking about now? <laughs> the plot twist with the waiter. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was just looking yes, exactly looking at my little row of Spitfire books. I was quite surprised when I found it. You know, because I was about to talk to you about you know really Wellums and. Hillary's and all those other famous, but there it was sitting there, burning blue. But also, I always think, think you know, growing up in the fifties, and, and, and yes, you've got the legacy of, of the First World War and, and Cecil Lewis and Biggles and all the rest of it, and Spitfire pilots from the Second World War. But also, you've got this extraordinary period where, where on the ground, Britain is looking a little bit drab. But but in the air, you've got these incredible streaks of silver and you know impossible shaped aircraft sort of hurtling across the sky at, at sort of you know, astonishing speeds. And, of course, the, the fastest of them all is, is the Ferry Delta II, which, which must be a rival for one of the most beautiful aircraft ever produced. I mean, it's, it's a thing of wonder. And it's what breaks Ferry as well. I mean, I just it, it, every time I think about it, it makes me want to weep and, and rage with frustration at the same time. When he, when he passed away the year they took that record, it was very sad that you know, he died that same year as they, they set that new record at, what, 1,132 miles an hour. Uh, and, you know, it was amazing that Britain held the air. So whenever he talks about um, that American bloke, Chuck, someone, you know, broke the sound barrier for the first time. But, yeah, uh, Chuck Yeager. But, yeah. you know, nobody seems to talk so much about, you know, this great British the designer, inventor. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, he was virtually going bust at that time because he wasn't popular with government. He was very much a maverick. You know, he, he made fairy gyro dines. What was that thing? There was a helicopter, the vertical takeoff thing, with rockets on the end. I mean, if you see it on the, the, the YouTube channels, the noise of the thing, it was a frightening thing. Um, but he never got money up front for the government. He didn't, he sort of didn't work well with them at all. And um, he actually owned about a third of Heathrow Airport before the Second World War, and it was taken off him by the government, compulsory purchase. Um, and they didn't pay him and didn't pay him and didn't pay him. I think they eventually paid the company after he died. So he was so financially, you know, he was almost bust um, when he died because he didn't have the support of the government people. But Tiff, he, had, he constantly had trouble, didn't he? Because, because even when he was doing um, the Ferry Delta 2, they said, oh, no, you can't, you can't test it over here because it's too noisy. So he, he then went to southern France. I, I'm, I'm sort of slightly riffing here because it's a long time ago that I looked into this. But, but, but he went to southern France and kind of used the Dassault kind of facilities. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the Mirage came out not long after looking <laughs> not at all. It's all dissimilar to the Fairy Delta Two. Yeah, it was one of the greatest fast jets of the modern era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, Concorde wings, you know, the Delta shape was, you know, follows on from all of that design future stuff. But it was really and the nose, it was, of course. It was. It was probably the Fairy Swordfish is the sort of the soft spot for me in the Fairy story. The fact that it, you know, it crippled the Bismarck. I mean, that's. I always think my family, you know, crippled the Bismarck. And wow, I mean, and sunk the Italian fleet. Yeah, at, um, yeah, at yeah. I mean, the city in those, you know, string bags, they were called, you know, A, to get off the deck of an aircraft carrier in those days, for starters, you know, foul weather, take it off, and then flying into a hail of bullets with your torpedo slung underneath. They're tremendously heroic, uh, 
you know, pilots of those, which are, don't have the glory of a Spitfire pilot. They're they're an anomaly, aren't they, in a way, because they're a they're a biplane um, in an era where biplanes have sort of you know sort of been kicked into touch a little bit, um, and yet they still do play this incredible role. I mean, on on two really really significant actions, both the Bismarck and the the attack on the Italian fleet at Taranto in November 1940. But, but you know, they're also, they're laying mines in Tripoli Harbour from Malta and, you know, and Benghazi and, and, and so on. So, you know, they're, they're playing a really, really important part, despite the fact that they look as though they're from a completely <laughs> yeah. different earlier era. I mean, have you, have you ever seen, you must have seen one fly well, yes, I've been down to the museum and seen them fly as well. Because in my research for trying to sort of get a documentary going, you know, I've spoken to the Fleet Air Museum and, you know, they've given me idea that I could go in the cockpit and fly and open my, my history of fairy. I'd be too scared to talk. I'd probably be shivering with fear. Um, but, yeah, you see... Oh, yeah, no, I mean, come the, on, if you've done Le Mans, you can, you can, well, you can get know, a spring badge, surely. It's on the ground. It's on the ground. They, they made me do an aerobatic display once. It just scared me constantly, you know, on board one of those modern day doing stall turns and reverse inside loops and that's the thing I'm, I'm glad I did that you know because that insight to those Spitfire pilots you know which I love so much of the, the, the cold they were in you know went up at 30,000 feet freezing cold and sweat and amazing physical endurance you know wasn't just the wasn't just shooting people it, it was the physical side of those fighter pilots in the second world War often gets forgotten um, it's, it's funny enough because in a way also my interest in Spitfires because Goodwood Revival Meeting of course which I've done yes. every I've done all 25 years now racing every one and of course that brought the Spitfire Ray Hanno I was there when he drove down the, the start finish straight you know below the top of the pits um, so we, we we suddenly every time at Goodwood I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee with the Spitfires lined up alongside and the actors acting out being the Spitfire pilots sitting on the grass and playing and it just brings it all back every year the earlier years they, they had Messerschmitts as well they had they had imitation dog fights and they had the Messerschmitts <laughs> all of a sudden with plumes of black smoke out of the back disappearing out towards the English channel but they dropped <laughs> they dropped that after two or three years that was you know the, the woke woke began quite early at Goodwood saying that maybe with all our with all our German racing entrance we probably shouldn't uh, simulate shooting down Messerschmitts anymore <laughs> Ray Hanna was an absolute legend wasn't he and um, yeah um he he was the one who flew the Spitfire just over Alan de Cadme's head, which yeah, is one of the most yeah. most, oh. most viewed aviation <laughs> aviation videos on YouTube ever. Um, and he was also for for a piece of cake, which was the uh, Derek Robinson adaptation, which yep. came out in like, yep. the eighties and launched all those careers for so many char- British character actors. Um, <laughs> but he was the one who flew under the bridge. Um, so there's this bridge somewhere in yeah. Yorkshire, I think it is, which yeah. flies underneath it. It's like a sort of stone arch bridge, and you can see the Spitfire coming down the down the river valley <laughs> and then under this bridge, which is, I mean, as you see it coming, it looks like it's it's never going to make it. Yeah. Um, and frankly, it only did just. Uh, and he was uh, he was one of the founders of the Red Arrows, um, and was obviously very much flying the flag for MGB <laughs> in those days. So Tiff. How did how did um, Richard Ferry become an, uh, an aviation manufacturer? Because it, it, I assume he goes in at the at the start when it's all sorts of people in their garages and. Uh, well, even uh, before that, he, he won a, a, a I forget which was the Telegraph for the Times. He won a, a newspaper competition with model aircraft. He was about fifteen or sixteen or seventeen, quite young. And yeah. he, he won a hundred. So when pounds. would this have been? This is oh, well, it's you know nineteen. 
12, I think, back then. I haven't done all my names and numbers. But, yeah, about 1910, 1912. So he was always an aircraft enthusiast. And he said he built this model aircraft, which won a flying competition in one of the daily papers, and won £100, which is probably about £100,000 now. And so he invested it and started to build aircraft. And uh, he built a lot of first world aircraft on licence to one of the... I think he yep. built Sopwith Camels on under licence. So he became a manufacturer, you know, and then built and started building his own aircraft. So um, it was quite a story from a little model aircraft flying off a hill to... And where uh, was he operating from? Well, Hendon was his main base. He built his... which Then he got the... the Heathrow Airport land when his airport was there, so he was basically you know, south west London all the time. And did he have a bit of money? I mean, was I don't a think bit of so. No, there? there was no real family money, and none, none came my way afterwards either, um, unfortunately. <laughs> because, um, of course, Not you know, the fairy Delta too. <laughs> yeah, my, my grandmother was, you know, Sir Richard's sister, and no money ever went to women. He was very, you know, he was a very me man, you know, he didn't suffer any of his family gladly at all, I don't think. He was quite a hard man to work for and live with. But, you know, he also you know, he lived this amazing sort of life of the 50s, you know, with the amazing J-class yachts at Cowes, you know, huge. He loved his sailing and fly fishing. So he was the, he was the country gentry, this amazing house, Bossington House, uh, down on the River Test with the famous, you know, trout fishing. So, yes. um, and he lived a life, you know, with all the royals. And uh, it, was, it was quite, I mean, he was six foot six tall, big man as well. So he was a huge character. But it was all self-made and sort of self-bankrupt, I think, towards the end. I mean, the, the, the whole of West London is the, the sort of uh, haze and all that area. Is the was the aircraft manufacturing sort of com- complex, wasn't it? In the run-up to the war, and then and and then during the war, and the, and then after it, it's you know the modernity in. I mean, uh, in Hayes and places like Hayes and Ryslip and Northolt. Um, it, it is a signature of the of. I mean, it was a signature of the place. I mean, Hayes is now just somewhere that services Heathrow Airport, as far as I could tell. It's it's full yeah. of it's full of uh, sort of catering companies to doing horrible sandwiches. Um, I mean, the thing is with these companies is they are they all do tend to have this sort of heroic um, central figure propelling them. You know, you, you look at you look at uh, uh, the Havilands, Roy Chadwick um, at Avro, mm. all these sort of all these extraordinary people, or A.V. Rowe, and all these people pushing these manufacturing houses along, and these sort of tyro, and like you say, men who then live a life sailing yachts, and they're always on. The, they always seem to always be on the verge of bankruptcy as well. Because <laughs> well, obviously, obviously there are other names that are involved with motor race. Because Sopwith, yeah. you know, Tommy Sopwith race cars, you know, yeah, and, right. and race power boats. My dad was very much involved in boating. His that was his sport. Right. Um, so we actually designed a boat for Tommy Sopwith, and uh, I passengered him a little test trial. I went out on the English Channel. He, in his he, race he lived to about sort of 120, didn't he? I mean, Sopwith, yeah. Just, just, and then yeah. the Verdon Rose, Bobby Verdon Rowe, I race with. So again, quite mm-hmm. a few of those aeronautical pioneers, their sons sort of merged into motorsports. So, uh, yeah, we've had, we had Bobby Verdon Rowe and Tommy Sopwith. And as you say, they were all sort of pioneering characters. And yeah. Great, great, great days when they could do that. You know, well, a single person well, well, could create a company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tommy Sopwith is interesting because, it, it, you know, after the war, so, you know, they've been producing all these 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 Sopwith biplanes during the, and, and triplanes, indeed, during the, during the First World War. And and monoplanes, for that matter, um, uh, and then of course suddenly the first world war's over. And there's no more need for aircraft, and they and so they they put the company into liquidation, start up again as as um, as Hawker, and they name it after after one of the pilots who they I think was one of their test pilots and who later was killed over the Western Front, I, I think um, uh, called Hawker, and that's that's why they name it. 
Because Peter Twist as well, who did the world speed record, he came into power yes. racing, so I met Peter Twist. Cause my dad was the... He, he wrote the rule book for the um, the first cow's torquay power race. Um, huh. So he was he was the, like, the, the race organiser. In fact, most of his life, he wasted his bankruptcy because it was all unpaid. But he loved doing his running powerboat races uh, all over Europe and, in, and across into America occasionally. So he was uh, very much a powerboat racing man. But his first love... Mm. He actually grew up at... Um, another war story. He grew up in Weybridge. He went to Weybridge to work for... Um, the Fair Mile motor launch people, uh, so that's that were built near Weybridge, and uh, he obviously had a, a what you call it a reserved occupation, wasn't it? He was he was the he was the home guard, classic home guard. He guarded Weybridge post office, and I think after about one year, <laughs> they gave him one bullet for his rifle in his second year of guarding. But um, I've always got it in for Clarkson because Clarkson did that amazing documentary on the San Nazaire raid. Yeah. And, of course, it was the Fairmile uh, motor launches that all caught fire and burnt, and he took the mickey out of them a bit, I thought, he said. You know, the stupid Fairmile motor cruisers, motor launches, all caught fire and sank because that was supposed to be their taxi <laughs> home from the raid was the Fairmile motor right. launches. Um, but they all sank. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. It's no, it's no surprise, really, there's lots of crossover between all, all of these industries in the interwar period, is there? Because that, that, people are figuring out engines, aren't they? They're figuring out horsepower. They're figuring out how to get as much power as they can out of engines. And, and, and you know, Supermarine are a good example because, because until they build the Spitfire, they're doing, um, they're doing boat planes as well. So they're, 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 they're literally, they've literally got a foot in each, in each camp, haven't they? I, I, I mean, the, 
did 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 you know him? Did, I mean, or did he did he die when you were little and you don't you don't remember? Well, no, because the they they uh, they all fell apart. I think grandmother oh, right. and him didn't get on, so they. Oh they right, oh, okay. So, okay. So I never never got to meet him though. I mean, Dad was already into cars because Dad, living in Wadebridge, he went to Brooklands before the war. That's yeah. where the motorsport element right, of right. it, because he fell in love with these huge aero engine machines, you know, blasting yeah. around the Brooklands banking. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, the passion for motorsport began. And he took me to Goodwood as soon as I could walk and as soon as I watched a car going, oh, that's it, I want to be a racing driver. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, most, the other one story did tell me about those motor, the, the motor cruisers down at Fairmile was everyone was built with a little tap in the middle of all the fuel lining. And nobody, when it was all approved by the Ministry of Defence, ever questioned what the little tap for was on the fuel line. It because all the car enthusiasts would go and fill up their petrol off of this little tap and uh, <laughs> keep, keep their cars going a bit longer. So <laughs> little modifications in the design. A tap for employees. Um, but, but Ferry did produce them... Um... I mean, they produce some duds. I mean, let's let let's face it: the ferry battle didn't didn't go particularly well for anyone. Um, but but they also produce some fantastic planes. I mean, ferry Firefly and the, obviously the the um, the Fulmer and the Albacore and the Barracuda and the Gannet. Mm. I mean, Garrett's, Gannet's an absolute classic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they were sort of workhorse planes. A lot of them weren't they? They weren't the sort of stars. They seemed to be more backup. But I mean, the, mm. but the back was that the one with the folding wings? What was that? Was the ferry? Was that the for the aircraft carriers, yes, I think the Gannet. Was that the Gannet could, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Gannet could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Gannet sort of yeah. folds up like a like it looks like an origami thing. Yeah, that's, um, when it's sort but of. I just love some of these. Well, I just love that rotodyne. That's the thing that's just caught my imagination. Yeah, <laughs> this thing with rockets on the end of his helicopter. It was a vertical takeoff, you know, commuter helicopter with about it was about thirty seater, I think, wasn't it? You know, this was yeah. in the fifties or something. But I think it was the noise that killed it because we had these rockets on the end of the helicopter blades That's to get right. it going. To get it started, <laughs> it had to go... Yeah. Uh, but, yes, in a, in a innovation. I've always had a massive spot pop for the Firefly. And, actually, um, uh, John Romain, who's, um, you know, at, up at Duxford, has uh, the um, uh, classic restoration company. He's... he's um, aircraft restoration company. He has got one because really? he, he found it in Sweden. Right. Uh, and it's literally completely intact. I mean, obviously, it needs an overhaul, but but I mean, it might, as far as I know, it might be up and running this summer. But but it was, you know, when I saw it, it was in fantastic nick. Wow. It's, and it's big, you know, it's a single engine pa- f- fighter plane. Well, it's a sort of coastal command strike fighter, isn't it? Hmm. Um, but but it's big, you know. It, it, it's it's sort of Hawker Tempest big. <laughs> I've never yeah. researched where the fairy name comes from. It's obviously quite an unusual name. I've never bothered to go that far back and say, well, who was his dad? I don't know his his parents at all. I know he didn't have any money when he when he grew up, but uh, it'd be interesting to do a bit more research. Time for research. I love research, but it takes so much time to really go into depth in things. Um, but because my dad was Anthony Fairy Needell, so he had the name as his middle name. But uh, oh, right. Oh, Probably a good okay. job I didn't inherit it because in the sixties having that as your middle name might have not gone down well at school, would it? Really? I mean, <laughs> anyway, talk about me, a racing driver with, air, with, 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 with aeroplanes. You know how how come Al, how come a pub landlord's such a, a war historian lover? Where where did you well, get into well, this the, part the of seven, life? The seventies and action man and airfix and my father was a my father was a um, uh, in the TA as a uh, and a paratrooper so. I used to go. I'm, I'm, you know, I have very early memories of going watching him jump out of a balloon, ah. um, which was all incredibly, incredibly <laughs> glamorous. 
Um, I remember I remember him yelling at me not to pick up his reserve shoot by its red handle when I was must have been four or five years old because obviously yeah, they've got good. a great big press spring in them. I'd have been yeah. thrown across thrown across Salisbury Plain by the bloody thing. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, and we used to we used to um, you know uh, go go to Normandy on holiday and go and look at the. I remember I remember going to Aramanche when I was seven or eight or something. Yeah. Um, and looking at the mulberry, and and in fact being in a being in a restaurant um, in the summer of it would have been nineteen seventy five or something seventy seventy seven I can't remember, and it was full of Canadians who were reminiscing, who were obviously in their sixties, you know, like because yeah. it was only thirty years since yeah. D Day, or or in their fifties even, so kind of my age, all going, oh, you remember Chuck, you know, when we came up and the son of a bitch, oh, really? you know, yeah. you, uh, absolutely extraordinary. So I kind of I kind of. Um, I was, you know, thoroughly brainwashed by my by my father, really, um, uh, and 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 also, I mean, I just sort of think uh, as as a topic, uh, why wouldn't you be interested in the second one? Well, it's extraordinary. It's got it's got everything in it, you know. And you can, so you can come at it from a technological point of view, or from a family point of view, or the politics is interesting. That that you know, you don't need you don't need. I have to say this to people: you don't need to go near any battles. You don't have to if you're not interested in that. You don't have to do that. There's loads of everything else. Yeah, um, well, those cemeteries are just amazing. They just bring yeah. a lump to my throat every time. You know, they're yep. so well kept, and they just almost yep. bring a tear. You know, yeah, I'm terrible yep. with the tears. I and mean, the last post, I'm welling up every time. I can't listen to that last post. You know, with the football. <laughs> you know, I'm a Southampton football season hold ticket holders. You know, we go down there, and when they, there's just that haunting trumpeteer mm. on his own playing that last post, just always wells me up. I mean, just. And it gives you that minute or two minutes just to think of those, you know, 16-year-olds coming out of trenches and just getting mown down. And mm. the other thing about Spitfire Pirates, they were so young. You know, these, these were either sort of working-class sergeants that, that had joined, you know, with a dream of flying or sort of posh kids from Eton or just finished Cambridge University. You know, imagine a, a university graduate now being told, right, in the Spitfire, boy, up you go, go and get shot down. Well, certainly, um, how, when I consider how feckless I was when I was nineteen, twenty years old, I mean that's the that's always the that's always the what what would I what would I've done? What have I been like? Um, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing though is I think a lot of those Spitfire pilots are pretty feckless too. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> they pretty much acted their age. I mean, they were getting absolutely tanked every yeah. single night, yeah. Yeah. then having to sort of wake up, you know, gasp of um, oxygen, good to go, uh, and know. then sort of climbing to, climbing up to twenty five thousand feet to you know tackle jerry i mean it's um my i got some letters from my dad i was just reading through a box just recently one of these ones that had been censored you know been read by and it was a, a spitfire pilot and he was talking about they were at donnington for the 1938 grand prix together so they're big mates big car mates um and it was this peter robinson you know flight lieutenant and so i looked him up on the internet and found he sadly died in a collision with a flying fortress in about 1944 uh, but went down to my tiny little village hall where I live, Lockley, with the War Memorial, and there, with only there's only twenty names on it, was Flight Lieutenant Peter, whatever his name was, Gosh. and it was so spooky. That in my tiny village, lived you know the man that was a friend of my father's that was a, a Spitfire pilot during the Second World War. I've tried to find any local pictures. I've got this letter. I'd almost like to give it to you know one of his relatives, but uh, sadly, there doesn't seem to be anybody that knows that family here. It's funny how, you know, so many things suddenly sort of 
come up around you that you hadn't expected in life. No, absolutely. I think all the fairy archives are obviously it, it got gobbled up, forcibly closed, gobbled up, and forcibly closed down. 1958, I think it was, or 57. It, yeah. it was Duncan Sands and the white, you know, the notorious white paper. And yeah. Duncan Sands had been a, you know, he'd been an artillery anti-aircraft man in the in the Second World War and was very firmly on the ground rather than in the air. Yeah. Um, but I think it got all sort of morphed into uh, what eventually became BAE, and all the archives are in this incredible original um, hangar that I think was first built in 1909 or 1911 or something, which is the far end of Farnborough. Um, which used to be the Royal Royal um, RAE um, headquarters. So you know, before Boscombe Down, that was the kind of sort of the the, the numero uno test place, and obviously still an incredibly important airfield. But anyway, they've got this black hangar at the far end of the of, of Farnborough, and in there is now all the archives of BAE, which includes you know, De Havilland, Ferry, Hawker, you know, pretty much the the whole works. Um, and they've got all these models of planes and folders and files and photographs and blueprints and you know it's it, it's absolutely extraordinary. So if you ever get your documentary off the go, yeah, that's, that's another you, place. You, you we have... absolutely need to get, get <laughs> we, your we, ass we, over we, there. We've been to the Fleet Air Art Museum. You know we, we have got a lot of stuff already. My director producer and he's trying to look and get backing for it. But yeah, there is yeah so much around to find. The other, the other way well, is I, I was a, I was a trustee of Brooklyn's Museum. You talk about amazing places with archives. Yes. I was very proud. My dad would have been over the moon to think his son, you know, become a, he passed away a long time ago, but you know, a trustee of Brooklyn's Museum. Yes. And that's a wonderful place where, again, motorsport and aviation, you know, merge together. And, well, uh, you've got Barnes Wallace's office there. And it's got yeah. his desk and everything else. If you haven't been to, if people haven't been to the Brooklyn's Museum, it's, I mean, it's worth two days almost to go around there. I mean, at least two. It's just an amazing place to wander around with all that providence and that just history's hanging in the air wherever you look and go. Because, you know, it was the first flight. Well, the first British flight was, it was supposed to, it's a bit dubious, isn't it, whether he actually flew or not. Was that A.V. Rowe that sort of took off for about 10 feet and landed again at Brooklands, I think? You, you, well, you, you may be, well be right. I mean, uh, and, and it's interesting because Barnes-Wallace's daughter um, married one of the, one of the Rows. Ah. Really? Mm. I'll speak to that's Bobby all, about that then. That's all quite tight. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all quite tight, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was on the, uh, there was a, the Barnes-Wallace Trust. Um, I used to be a trustee of that, and we used to have meetings occasionally in Barnes-Wallace's old office. But there is an incredible crossover, isn't there, between between those who love motorsports, but also those who love the, the old warbirds and everything. I'm sort of thinking of sort of characters like, well, you mentioned Ray Hannah earlier on. I'm thinking about Rob's Lampo as well. He's got his, you know, he's got a sort of garage full of amazing cars and, and, and used to race and muck around with them, didn't he? But has also got, got the most original Messerschmitt 109 in the world. Oh. Um, but then you worry you think about you know Graham Hill and uh, Carlos Pache, a couple of you know crashed in light yeah, aircraft, and yeah. a lot of light aircraft crashes seem to happen. When it was it was it David Coulthard had a terrible with a, with a private jet, didn't he? Yes, he went he did. in and, yeah. and um, they they walked out the front of it, didn't they? But the, both the pilot's crew were killed. Tiff, uh, good good luck with um, looking further into Richard Ferry. I mean, it's an amazing her- amazing heritage to have, and. Uh, and I hope you do go up in a string bag. I, I've, I saw footage of someone flying in it this week, and I thought oh, I'd love to do that, even for the yeah. even for the scares. I, I'd love to do that. Oh, I would too. You know, yeah. but as long as it's two thousand feet and it's and it's not at night, <laughs> and there's no cutting of engines involved, and it's summertime, summertime, yeah, exactly. summertime. Yes, yeah, exactly. Nice and warm. Fair, I'm a fair weather string bag man. <laughs> 
excellent. Well, thanks. Well, it's, been thank a, a, been a pleasure. it's been a pleasure to join you. Thank you very much. It's been our much. pleasure been as well, to be long. Well, thank yeah, you ever fantastic. so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheers.